Today's reading is from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. And I'm taking this reading from the Holy Bible New International Version. And it's verses 1 to 17. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he trims clean, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed in my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you that this is so my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love no no one than this that one may lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I I can no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit and it's fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I will repeat, this is my command, love each other. May the Lord bless the reading of this passage. Good morning, everyone. Uh, The last time that I spoke, I um, had a video of uh, ping pong going, and a lot of people actually said that it was helpful for helping them to, to focus in, actually. So um, I don't have a video, but maybe what I'll do every once in a while, I'm going to tap Morse code for SOS just to try to, you know, keep your attention just in the places where I'm needing some help. Nah, just kidding. Uh, next Saturday, uh, Monica and I, are, she's my wife, we're celebrating our 17th wedding anniversary. 17 years. Now, some of you are probably thinking, wow, 17 years, that's like, that's forever. And of course, others of you are thinking, 17 years? I have a wart that's older than 17 years. 
But uh, the reason I bring it up is not because, uh, well, not for any reason besides, well, one, I'm, I am excited about it, but uh, uh, it's because for our wedding ceremony, Monica and I chose the Bible verses that Judy uh, read for us. Uh, we wanted the celebration of our marriage to reflect our desire that life together would be one of abiding in Jesus. A daily choice to love one another in the way that Jesus loved us, and a commitment to spur one another on in remaining in Jesus, loving him as he loves us. Easy breezy, lemon squeezy, as you like to say. Uh, you know, I'll, well, I must say, Mon's done a pretty good job of, of those things. I've, I leave much to be desired, but uh, so far I haven't been cut off and thrown in the fire, so that's good. Now, one thing that I've come to learn in marriage uh, is that marriage is an, a, a, an act of continual self-revelation. Yourself is being revealed constantly to your spouse, to others, to yourself. And of course, part of what's revealed uh, is also how much we try to hide. <laughs> Shadow parts of ourselves that we try to keep hidden from our spouse, from others, or from ourselves, or things that we don't even know that we're hiding. Oddly, a years of marriage hiding ourself from a spouse is very revelatory. It's just not revelatory in a healthy way. Um, uh, it's more of a self-closing, of course, than a self-disclosing. But as imperfect humans, uh, even our most important relationships do tend to be marked by these ebbs and flows of openness and pulling away. Vulnerability and insecurity of submission and resistance self-revelation, and concealment. But as we've seen over these last few weeks, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is all about revelation, revealing himself to us, revealing God the Father to us as Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. Well, you know, at least he's being revealed to those of us who have eyes to see and ears to hear uh, and hopefully in this passage, we will, f we will find together what I think Jesus, one of the things Jesus wants us to know is that while we ebb and flow in these things, Jesus is faithful and always remains faithful. He never pulls away. He's never insecure. He never resists us. He never conceals, uh, but he's always open uh, and inviting. So let's pray. God, may you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the goodness and beauty of who you reveal yourself to be. Amen. So verse 1, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. As in other places where Jesus tells us something about himself when he begins, I am the, as we maybe know after a few weeks that there are seven of these in the Gospel of John. Simply with saying a few choice words, Jesus draws on images and metaphors that instantly draw his list listeners in and, 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 and um, brings in their imaginations. Just like sheep and shepherds, the imagery of a vine or a vineyard is one of the most commonly used metaphors in ancient religions, not just Jewish, but all ancient religions, 
It is a symbol, vine and vineyard symbolize fruitfulness, prosperity, and its association with wine of pleasure. Now, for the Jews throughout the Old Testament, uh, the vineyard and the vine were common symbols for Israelites, symbols for the chosen people of God, uh, compared as they are called a vine or a vineyard that God has planted in the God tent. Now, unfortunately, while this occurs uh, very regularly in the Old Testament, unfortunately for the Jews, in almost every one of these illustrations, Israel is portrayed as a vine that has failed to produce good fruit. And instead, as it's, it's uh, portrayed as a vine that is producing such bad fruit that God warns them of impending judgment. Like fruitless vine branches that are not good for anything but burning, the unfaithful and unjust Israelites should be prepared to meet a similar end. And in these illustrations, the God of Israel is the gardener. The gardener who planted the vine, who tends and who takes care of it, and also the ones whose rebuke causes the vine to be cut down and to be burnt. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener, his disciples would instantly have been brought into this whole story and and would be instantly thinking of these metaphors and this picture that they would have been very familiar with. So some of the connections they would have instantly made is, one, that Jesus' father is the gardener, the God of the Israelite people. And two, by saying that he is the true vine, Jesus is saying that it is not the fruitless Israelites who are the vine, but it is actually Jesus himself who is the true vine. The Israelites as the vine were but a shadow, a a precursor to the true vine that was to come. Jesus, the true place of fruitfulness and the fulfillment of God's promises to be a blessing to all of the nations. So all of this uh, history and meaning and theology wrapped up uh, just in this first verse. What's more, as John, who's the writer of this gospel, wants to reveal Jesus to us, it is noteworthy that of the seven times that Jesus says, I am the, here Jesus doesn't just speak of himself by saying, I am, but he adds, I am and my Father is. Jesus' revelation of himself in this particular metaphor of the vine is intricately and dependently wrapped up with who the Father is. The relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son permeates through the entirety of verses 1 to 17 that Judy read for us. And it is key to seeing and hearing what Jesus is wanting to reveal to of himself and God's self to us. Now, as we consider this self-revelation of Jesus, the true vine, and the father, the gardener, there are a few themes that run throughout. Um, The themes that I want to touch on are the pruning of the gardener. So not the gardener being pruned, but the gardener doing pruning. Remaining in the vine, and of course, uh, the bearing of fruit. After setting the stage for the vine metaphor, 
Jesus, assuming his readers have some basic understanding of horticulture, he jumps right into talking about cutting off and pruning. Uh, but while I am no expert on gardening, um, I imagine that a lot of us don't, can't have this assumption of this knowledge. So here's my overly simplified horticulture 101. And it's at least just enough to understand the picture that Jesus is painting. Now a vine, this is pretty basic stuff. A vine is an you know, organic uh, thing that grows out of the ground, right? So a vine grows out of the ground. And then off of this vine, it grows what Jesus calls branches or tendrils, I think is the term that a lot of people use. So on these branches then grow fruit, right? Okay, so hopefully we're all on the same page there. So coming through the roots of the vine, up through the ground, comes the nutrients that enable the vine to grow and the branches to grow and the fruit to grow. Now picture this life-giving nutrient flowing up through the vine, through the branches, and then into the fruit. Now if a branch doesn't have any fruit growing on it, that is a sign that the branch is actually dead. That life-giving nutrients aren't going into it, and so therefore, for all intents and purposes, it, this branch isn't actually in the vine, at least not in any life-giving way. It's still kind of attached, but it isn't in the vine in that it isn't receiving these life-giving nutrients. And so, it is a waste of wood, and so the gardener cuts it off. Now, being a vine... The wood from these branches isn't good for anything. It's not like most, a lot of our trees in Ontario. You can't use this, this wood for anything. You can't make a table or a fence uh, or, or whatever. The only thing that it is good for is for burning. Now, hobbyists, I'm sure, can use it for all. I'm sure that Etsy and Pinterest and has lots of uses for these things. But don't forget, we're talking about uh, a, a time when... There was art, but probably wasn't through uh, uh, Pinterest. So, yeah, so being, so the only thing that this wood is good for is for burning. So this is why in verse 2, we see Jesus says, He, the gardener, cuts off every branch that is in me that bears no fruit. And then in verse 6, Jesus says, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. These branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Once again, Jesus is alluding to the Old Testament, in this case, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel in chapter 15, where Ezekiel uses this exact same picture, a lot of the same words, although uh, Jesus isn't speaking in Hebrew, but uh, this exact same image of Israel being the dead vine, that this is a type of wood that uh, is only good for burning when it has no fruit in its unfaithfulness. Now, one caution uh, as we think about this is in Western Christianity, we have a tendency to think that every time we see the word burn or fire, we think that that is talking about hell. That it's talking about some sort of eternal punishment and burning in anguish uh, just because it said the word burn. Now, that's not even remotely what this metaphor is about. So if you're carrying that, you can just throw that away. 
The point is simply that the purpose of a vine and its branches is to bear fruit. So any branch that remains in the vine bears fruit, and those that don't, don't. That's, that's it. <laughs> verse 4, uh, the second half of verse 4. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Again, this is pretty simple, uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty simple horticultural. If it's not actually attached in any life-giving way, it doesn't bear anything. It isn't like some plants where you can stick it in some water and then all of a sudden it's going to sprout uh, to new life. Well, the gardener cuts off every branch that is dead and doesn't bear fruit. Jesus goes on in verse 2 to say that every branch that does bear fruit, the gardener prunes so that it will be more difficult. So notice there's a difference between cutting off the dead branches and pruning. They're different words. Again, horticulture 101. So you picture these rich nutrients pulsating through the, through, up through the vine into the branch. You know, a little, and in the branch, a little goes here, a little goes there, a little there. So the more branch there is, the longer the branch there is, the more the nutrients has to be spread around. And as a result, the fruit itself gets less, less nutrients the longer that the branch is. So if you want a lot of fruit to grow, and you want the fruit to grow healthily, you need to prune back some of the branch so that more nutrients go to the fruit rather than going to the branches. So that the fruit is growing instead of the branch growing. In this way, God is the gardener wanting the best for the branches out of love for the branches will prune them back so that they may be more fruitful. And the air conditioner just kicked in, so my pages are blowing. Thankfully, that's why I bought myself a bunch of tabs, so I don't have to worry about that. Verse 3, of course, seems to pop out of nowhere. Jesus says, so, well, in verse 2, well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be more fruitful. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So it sounds like Jesus, in English, it sounds like Jesus is kind of changing topics here. But what we don't catch in English is the word clean is the word prune. It's actually the same word. Now last week we saw the same word for clean when Jeremy talked about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So in John 13.10, when Jesus says, Those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean. It is pruned. And not like when you sat in the bath too long kind of pruning. Come on, someone's got to laugh at that one. And you are clean. You are clean. You are pruned. You are pruned. You are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. God the Father prunes us. He cleanses us. And he does it by the words that Jesus has spoken. This idea of, uh, and I think that's really beautiful when you think about the, God the Father prunes us. He's the one that cleanses us. But God the Father does it by the words that Jesus has spoken. There's this interrelation between what the two are doing for the same purposes. 
Now, for many of us, this idea of being pruned is a hard one. It sounds hard one because it sounds it would be painful to have parts of us cut off. When I am proud or arrogant about something that I did or said, and then, but then it all goes wrong, or when in my insecurity I'm ashamed of something I did or said and want to hide it or redirect people away from seeing it, these are places where God can prune in me, just examples of Cut off some of the pride, snip off some of the self-criticism. So instead of these things taking the life-giving energy away from good fruit, the hard but cleansing pruning makes space for the life of Jesus flowing through the branch to grow more fruit, richer and healthier. And now I know there's a lot in me that could use some pruning. When I'm able to have the humility to see it and to participate in being pruned by the gardener, it is actually much less uh, painful. But when I resist it or when I deny it, either God will prune it anyways and it is much more unpleasant, or when I really persist in my refusal to be pruned, the part of my branch gets diseased and malformed and it rots on the vine. Until I come to the place of hitting rock bottom, coming to the end of my rope and acknowledging that I desperately need this loving pruning of the gardener. And when I do, I find that I've not been cut off of the vine and thrown away, but that Jesus has been holding on to me, keeping me remaining in him, offering his life-giving sustenance. And the pruning process, though painful and challenging at times, then with my, with my um, openness and humility can cut away that rotten fruit and diseased twigs, making room for new life, new fruit to grow, good fruit to grow in my life. Now, I'm assuming, well, maybe it's not, I shouldn't assume, are there places in you that you know are, well, are rotting, are diseased, or simply just not as fruitful as you could be? And are you, like me, trying either to pretend that they aren't there or that you can deal with it all in your own strength? Remain in Jesus. The pulsating life of the vine flows into you to bring life and bear fruit. Allow the Father to cleanse you, to prune you, that you may bear good fruit. And this brings us to the question, what is, of course, the fruit that we bear? Or perhaps better to say, what is the fruit that is born in us through the life of Jesus? Now, Jesus does mention a few specific things that come as a result of our remaining in him. He mentions the experience of his joy in verse 11 and of having love for one another in verse 12 and in 17. Though I don't think we can reduce the fruit of what is mentioned. Uh, oh, sorry, we, I don't think we can reduce the fruit that comes out of our remaining in Jesus to what is mentioned specifically here, to only these things. Except perhaps to say that the fruit is anything that is the product of remaining in Jesus and prayer in his name. 
Which then I think leads to the question of how. How do we remain in Jesus? What is the activity or the action on our part that reflects remaining in Jesus? I think if the work of remaining of Jesus is to be found anywhere, it is in the idea of obedience. Keeping Jesus' commands as he kept the Father's commands But while saying this, I think we need to be cautious to avoid any thinking that obedience is some sort of fulfillment fulfillment of legalistic requirements in order to grasp or to hold on to the vine. The idea of if you don't obey these laws, you are literal toast. A A ruler will demand obedience from their subjects. Slaves will do just what they're told by a ruler. But friends, friends enjoy the confidence of the king. They sit at the king's table. They know his heart. They are informed of his thinking and they enjoy relationship with him. And so, as commentator D.A. Carson writes, they learn to obey with a sense of privilege and full understanding. They know that they know their king's heart and that they have their king's heart. And so obedience is not out of coercion, oppression, fear of repercussion, or a need to fulfill legal requirements, but out of relationship. It's this obedience as friends that Jesus is talking about in verses 16, 14 to 16. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. This relationship with the Father and the Son uh, that we develop in our relational obedience is developed in prayer, through prayer. And this is Jesus directs us to this in verses 7 and 16, which kind of are are bookends to two sections. Um, They remind us that this is is about uh, relationship is built, sorry, through Prayer, through asking the Father in the name of Jesus. And here is where our motivation and sustenance for the fruitfulness in obedience comes from. It's verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We are invited into the very same relationship of love that the Father has with the Son. We are loved by Jesus with the same love that God the Father has for God the Son. If we receive Jesus' love in the same way that Jesus receives the Father's love, then we have the same response to Jesus that Jesus had to the Father. Obedience. Obedience that bears the fruit of loving others like Jesus loved us. 
Obedience is not what makes us friends with Jesus. It is our natural response to having been made friends with Jesus, loved by Jesus in the same way that the Father loves him. Loving others like the Father loved Jesus is the fruit that comes from remaining in the true vine. Now, as you, as confusing as things are getting, Monica is studying complexity theory right now. And uh, in layman's terms, it's just about how complex systems are. Everything is really complex. And as you can tell, I'm someone who, who believes that. And I, I, I see that, and I like to see that, and to, to pick apart the complexity of things, you know, such as the complexity of different aspects of Jesus being the vine. So if I've lost you because this is, there's so many tendrils that are going out, um, these complexities all come together, and like a vine, they're actually quite simple as they grow organically as one organisms, or organism. The complexities actually become quite simple when understood as it's been brought together and... and uh, accepted. Now, grasping this idea of what it means to remain in Jesus, to me, for most of this week as I've been wrestling with it, it feels like catching a fish with your bare hands. Now, for those of you who've never gone fishing, uh, if the fish falls off the hook and into your boat, now I've got two fishermen in the room here. I won't look for nods or shaking of the head to see if I'm completely off on this. I have my experience as a not high-level fisherman. The fish falls off your hook and into the boat or onto a dock, then you, you'll, you'll know this picture of trying to catch a fish with your hands. This fish, is, the flip will be flipping and flopping, and it's slippery. And if you leave it for a moment, it will often it'll kind of calm down, but just long enough for you to try to catch it again, at which place, point it starts flipping and flopping all over again. And as in the case of many Ontario fish, they have these sharp, sharp spikes in their back fin that come up when you try to catch them. So whenever you get a grip on this sliminess, you need to watch out or you're going to get spiked. I feel like wrapping my head around grasping what it means to remain in Jesus is a little like this fish that keeps wriggling out of my grasp. Intellectually, it is a wiggly, slimy fish with spiky fins. Dorsal? No, dorsal. Is it dorsal? But in reality, it feels like that. But in reality, remaining in Jesus is actually a gift that we simply receive. Remaining in Jesus is not trying to get away from us or to make it hard for us to catch it. Remaining in Jesus isn't lying still and wait for us to approach and then start shooting out spikes to cause us pain and to elude our grasp. It's right there. It's offered to us as a gift. No tricks, no deception, no self-protection. We simply need to receive the gift and find ourselves grafted in the vine, the life of Jesus pulsating through our veins. Jesus said in verse 5, I, uh, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If, I, if you remain in me, and if I remain in you, 
This isn't about our slaving away, straining to somehow remain in Jesus, like holding on to a wriggling fish with spikes. Verse 16 affirms this even more. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, well, last, fruit that will remain. It's the same word, remain. You did not choose me, but I chose you. If you remain in me, and if I remain in you. Jesus chose us. This is on God. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. We are his choice, and he chooses to remain in us. Verse 5, again. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If Jesus remains in you, well, Jesus does remain in you. He isn't saying, well, if I do, it'll be this way, but then if I don't, it won't be. There is no if. Jesus remains in you. He chooses you. That's his choice. This isn't about being afraid of, am I in the vine and going to get, or am I not in the van and going to get cut off? This is about Jesus telling us that he chooses us, that we are in him. And so if we live in that and we, in our part, remain in him, this fruit will come out of us. When we accept it, when we receive it as true, when we receive him as true and allow this reality to stir in us prayers from the depths of who we are, we will see Jesus' fruit being born in our lives. We are but a branch growing out of the vine, receiving the pulsating life of God to bear fruit. A free gift. And the fruit of obedience, joy, living out the love that God the Father has for Jesus and Jesus has for us. A fruitful gift freely offered for our joy, that Jesus' joy will be made complete. And for the glory of our Heavenly Father. We can rest in this. We can Remain in this. Open ourselves to this reality and receive the gift of Jesus' life giving uh, sustenance and nourishment and life pulsating through our veins and bearing fruit in our lives. As the Father has loved us, so Jesus has loved you. Accept the gift and now remain in his love. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, most of us want to offer ourselves to you. We want to be obedient to you. We want to live lives that reflect um, who you are and the reality of your life in our lives. Yet so often we quickly fall into thinking that all of these things are about us. 
that they are about our strength and our gifts um, and our ability to be obedient. And many of us live with the fear that if we do not see what we think we should see, that we are in danger of being cut off and thrown into the fire. Jesus, we ask that you would help us to receive the reality that you chose us to remain in you. And that you chose to remain in us as you remain in the Father and as the Father lives and loves in you and all with the Holy Spirit. In all the complexities of who you are, help us to hold on to the simple truth that you are love, that you are life, and that you live in us, that you remain in us to bear your fruit. Help us, Lord. Give us the strength and the hearts and the minds to see, to hear, to know you, to receive this gift and to live it out in loving obedience as friends of the King of the Kingdom. Amen.